Also, we'll pray for our friend Ryan, who did have a fall yesterday, took a break, so I hate, the, I hate that that happened for him. Um, so let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, that you, uh, you meet us. What a great uh, song to sing, Nothing But the Blood. As we, when we worship you, we were reminded, remember, not just in our minds, but even in our hearts and bodies, that uh, our hope, our salvation our life breath, um, our, our, the very air we breathe rests upon the blood of Jesus that covers us. It cleanses us, it sanctifies us, one day will glorify us forever. What a good, good thing to know. What a good thing to sing. Lord, we pray uh, you would be with us as we come this evening. Lord, be with Ryan as he uh, deals with his wrist. We pray that it's able to be fixed and healed quickly and well. Give the doctor's wisdom in that, Lord. Continue to pray for the Knapp family and as Michael's dad has passed. Be with them, bring comfort to them, bring healing, bring comfort, bring peace, um, bring your closeness to them. We do thank you for those that travel to Rwanda. We, we pray for the mission work there at the hospital there and Dr. Carl Albertson and Francie and the labor they've given for many years. Lord, continue to bless their efforts there. That the gospel be proclaimed as, as bodies are healed, that the soul as well would come to know you and trust you. So now we come to your word and we ask for ears to hear, um, that our hearts would be open to receive, to welcome your word. Heal us, encourage us, strengthen us where we need it, um, where we need to be challenged, rebuked, uh, corrected. Would you do that as well? We trust that your word is powerful to do such. We ask it in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to do something different. We're not going to read the text uh, from the front. We're going to read it as we kind of go section by section today. Uh, and there is a little PowerPoint with some uh, slides up there for my friend Josh Verde, who asked for that. Uh, also, these are in the back still. If you don't have one of these, this is basically the book of Galatians. Uh, the ESV translation. Uh, grab one of these in the back. Uh, you can follow along through this series. Uh, take notes in there, circle, highlight, ask questions. It's a good thing to help. They're in the back on the table. Um, you can use it. Try to bring it back with you uh, each week. Hopefully that'll be helpful for you. It's nice to be able to finish a book and have, have thoughts on that book to take with you. Um, well, we are at Galatians 1. We just covered a few verses last week. This week we're 10 through 24. But um, when you say bold things, uh, you gotta, you got to back it up, right? you got to support it. If there's, a, if there's a new product that offers, you know, great weight loss, you know, uh, you got to say, well, what's the evidence? Like, I want to see how is this going to work. Um, do you remember where you were uh, at 9-11? Um, do y'all remember that? Remember where you were? Sad to realize some of you were, were barely born, which is, <laughs> whoo, we're a young church. But most of us remember, some of y'all were like three but I, I was walking into a college class, and, uh, and someone said, did you hear the news? And I said, and, and they started sharing. I said, no way. That's, that's preposterous. That couldn't have happened. So we, what do we do? We rush to the TV, to the, to the news, to turn it on to see the evidence, to see the video of planes flying into the World Trade Center, into the, the Pentagon, and then 
the one hijacked it and, and take, taken down in, in Pennsylvania. And right, I can't believe it. This is such a bold thing. And yet I'm watching the footage and you, you see the, the firefighters and you see the eyewitnesses and you see the testimony, all of which supporting this, this reality that this terrorist attack, this atrocity has taken place. You've got to have support. You've got to uh, have evidence. Most of us saw the news this week at Derek Chauvin, the the police officer in Minneapolis, uh, he was convicted of a second-degree murder as well as other charges. Um, the, the, the process seemed to work. He was arrested. Uh, they said he had uh, committed murder against George Floyd. Uh, and so then the, the, the evidence was presented before the court, and the jury witnessed it, and they saw what most of us saw, right? They saw the video, the nine minutes of the knee on the neck, and seemed seemed pretty obvious, pretty clear, but they heard witness, and they heard uh, depositions, and they had uh, expert witnesses speak about uh, what happens uh, with the body at this position for this time, and all of this evidence was gathered and mounted, and then the jury took, took the information, and they deliberated, uh, and they came back with the verdict, right? And they said, he's guilty, and uh, from what we can see with our eye on TV, seems like they got it right. Seemed like it worked in this case. Correct. Um, he was guilty. There, there needs to be evidence. Uh, there needs to be support. When we come to Galatians uh, 10 here, uh, 1.10, this is called the autobiographical section um, of the letter. And it's Paul, pretty forthright, giving a defense uh, of who he is uh, and what he has said. Last week, he spoke very clearly that those that would preach a different gospel than him, he said it not once but twice, they should be accursed. They should be anathema, to be cut off. He has espoused this great gospel that encompasses everything. It means all of life. Uh, it, it is profound. It is deep. It is rich. And that you have it. You have life. You don't have it or you tamper with it. The whole thing is gone. And this gospel he spoke of is a gospel of grace pure grace. And he said this in uh, Galatians 3.11, summarize it. Now it is evident, here's evident, that no one is justified or, or made right before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's saying, his gospel, no one's made right by the law. It's not law keeping, but it is faith alone. It is grace alone alone. That's pretty, that's pretty everyday for us, right? And we hear this, we preach this, we teach this, it's our tradition. Uh, we, we know it, we say it. Um, but in Paul's time, with his audience, the churches in Galatia, this was bold. This was audacious. Paul's being accused of being a false teacher, of preaching a false message, of changing what it means to be right with God, by moving away from the Jewish components of the faith to making it be by faith alone. The Judaizers, they were called, had, uh, they had been fine with Jesus, but it was Jesus plus keeping uh, the law of Moses, plus keeping the circumcision laws, the dietary laws, the other restrictions and Sabbath and so forth. And Paul says, it's not those things, it's Jesus only. And they got upset, and they started attacking. 
They started questioning. It has to be Jewish, right? In fact, Jews are God's people. And Paul says, Jew or Gentile, no one is justified by works of the law, but by faith alone. And so, Paul here is on defense. Paul's on trial. He's made bold claims, and he's being uh, on trial, and he's, he's having to defend his statements, his accusations. Um, and like a good lawyer, uh, the, what do lawyers do? One tactic is you try to, you try to poke holes in the character, right, uh, of the defendant. If I can discredit him, if I can make his testimony not look very credible, then if his character's bad, his message would be bad, right? You see how that works? And so the false teachers have done that. They've attacked him. They've attacked the character of Paul. Let's see. Let's see how it plays out. Hopefully it'll unfold along the way. We're going to look at Paul's bold claim, and then we're going to see... uh, his evidence, and finally, we'll look at the verdict, and that'll be very simple. That'll be us, the jury, uh, just as the Judaizers would hear, the church of Galatia. What do we do with the claim and the evidence that Paul lays out, okay? So we'll walk through it. First, his bold claim, uh, verses 10 to 12. This is his statement of innocence, uh, his statement of, of his gospel against the charges. Um. Paul has said that the gospel is the answer. To deviate from it is anathema. But the question remains, where did he get this gospel? Is it the product of trying to please certain people? They've said that. Surely his failure to have the Gentile converts circumcised was his fear of man, his people pleasing. It was a trick to offer a cheap and easy gospel. I know, I, I'm a, I can be a people pleaser. I know what it's like. You want people to like you. Paul's in a culture, and they're Gentiles, and so you don't want to push the whole thing, and you like them, they're coming, you're starting to get an audience, and so maybe Paul's just backing away from certain parts to make it a little bit more palatable. That's what, that's what the accusation is. He wants to be liked. He likes to feel good. This is what he says in verse 10 to 12, his claim. For, I am not now, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For what have, for what have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The key phrase in this section is, is not man's gospel. Some translations say not according to man. This is not a gospel of human invention. Paul's defense is that this gospel I'm preaching, it's not something I was taught. I didn't go to special school for this. It was not something that was passed down to me. It was not a certain tradition. I didn't invent it. I preach it, but it came from God. This gospel, he says, was received through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a bold claim, right? If your friends tell you something, I received a revelation from Jesus Christ. Listen to my message. How do you feel? Huh? You get a little nervous, right? Are you taking your meds, right? 
Have you consulted someone? That's the question we ask them, right? If they say these kind of things. Um, it's not tradition. It's not invention. It's, it's revelation. We know Paul was on the road to Damascus, and he met Jesus. And he's saying when he met Jesus, Jesus directly gave him this word. The accusation was that Paul had got it from some other places. Paul had been influenced. He'd been tampered. He got into a sect that was deviating, and now Paul's teaching it, and so they're criticizing. And Paul says, look, it didn't come from anyone else. So despite the critics, Paul says in verse 1 of this chapter, he says that his mission to be an apostle, he says, I am an apostle not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. And now he says not only his mission, but his message, the gospel received through Jesus Christ, both came by divine revelation. His mission apostle, his message the gospel, are not for man, are not from tradition, but it's from Jesus directly. So much so that he says in Romans 16, 25, he says, he calls the gospel my gospel. Not that he owned the gospel or he came up with it, but it's unique to him and that it had been revealed specifically to him. We, we, we teach and we hear the word gospel, but I want you to know how bold that is. What a bold claim. Paul has the, the corner market on this special message, the gospel. Um, several uh, quote-unquote modern prophets uh, have, been, have been sort of found out recently. Um, if, you've seen, if you've watched the news at all the last year, uh, several of them, uh, one of them, Chris Valaton, another guy named Sean uh, Boltz, uh, they claim to receive special direct revelation from God about who our next president would be. Did you see this? They received revelation, and God spoke to them either in a dream or directly and told them that Trump would have a second term, right? He would be the president. Um, they claimed this. They spoke this. They prophesied this of Trump's election. Chris, Chris Valentine recently made an apology video. I saw it on the Christianity Today article. He apologized for his prophecy, and he he said he wants to learn more about why he got the prophecy wrong from God. He, the direct message from God uh, was incorrect at some level. Um, how do you feel when you hear those words? <laughs> Someone has a revelation from God they want to tell you. The Old Testament says uh, there are false prophets, and we know a false prophet because they say something and then it doesn't come true. That's how we know it's false. And when that happened in the Old Testament, you know what they did with that false prophet? He was killed. Right? He, was, he was killed. I'm not going to go kill Chris Valentine. I don't know him. I don't know where he lives. I'm not going to do that. But I want you to know how serious it is what Paul is saying. He is saying, I have a direct message from Jesus Christ himself, and I've given this word, and it is about grace alone. It is all of grace and so you see why people are upset and why they're troubled. This revelation, certainly for a Jew who knew their Old Testament, and now they're hearing one says, this is from God. That's the bold claim Paul's making. And so when you make a bold claim, just like in the case, just like before a jury, there's the accusation or the charge, and then you do what? You've got to present the, the evidence. Prove it. So what? How do we know? 
lot of people have claimed prophecy. A lot of people have claimed messages, right? Muhammad did. Joseph Smith has. They've all claimed it. How do we know this is true, Paul? The evidence. The information, the data that supports the case. Is the data going to carry the weight to convince the church at Galatia, to convince us that this gospel message of Paul, of grace alone, Jesus alone, is true, is trustworthy? No, we, uh, we do that in trials, right? They presented, they presented uh, information in this case uh, with the police. You, you remember, I was thinking about uh, cases. Do you remember uh, O.J.? Some of you, O.J. Simpson, right? Some of you really weren't born at this point. You know, you remember him on trial putting the glove on, right? If the glove don't fit, remember? What, what's the word? You must have quit. You remember that? And he tried the glove on, and he showed to everyone the evidence, exhibit A, the glove doesn't fit. He must be acquitted, right? That was the line, right? We show the evidence. Some of y'all don't even know that. That's, that's overwhelming to me, but I know that's true. If you know that, if you know that example, please raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, that makes me feel better. Makes me feel better. If you're, if you're 25 and below, Google it and read about it. Kind of a big deal in American history. Uh, evidence. Build a case. Paul's going to do that. Uh, Paul's going to do that. First, first point of evidence, he cites his current status. Look at verse 10. Listen, you say I'm trying to please man. If I were still trying to please man, would I be a servant of Christ? You could translate that a slave or a bondservant. Look, if I'm just trying to, 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 to trick you here, it's cost me a whole lot. I'm a slave. I'm a servant. You know the life of Paul, imprisonment, beatings, mocking, shipwrecked, right? Ostracized, isolation. He says at some point, everyone's left me in the gospel. I'm taking on the missionary journey. I've been left alone. I've been abandoned. Right. Uh, I, I, Paul's saying, I, look, I, I'm giving my whole self to this thing. His current status, evidence one. No one says these things just to please man. It's cost me a lot. It's a little bit like uh, C.S. Lewis does the liar, lunatic ward. Have you heard that? You know, um, Jesus has got to be liar, lunatic, or Lord, you know. And so if Jesus really is raised from the dead uh, and, and his disciples knew he was lying, or, or, or Jesus fabricated it, he really didn't die, and the disciples knew it, and yet they're still willing, all, all of them, martyred, all of his followers suffering, suffering, imprisonment, beaten, they all did that for a lie? Right? I mean, they, one thing to kind of be persuaded and kind of go along with a white lie, but another thing to give your whole life, right, and to die, to be killed, to Peter up, crucified upside down for something you know is a lie. So he says... They wouldn't do this to please man. That's what makes the gospel so compelling, and that's what Paul's saying. Look, this thing, he's, look, you know, you accuse me of people pleasing. You accuse me of tampering with it. This thing has so changed me that I'm willing to be in chains. It's cost me so much. I've not entered in lightly. I'm not making some story up to persuade these Galatian churches. This is my life. I am a slave to Christ. The gospel is free, but it's not cheap. 
It's not cheap grace. It comes, we don't earn it, we don't offer anything, we don't merit it, we don't do anything to turn God's heart towards us in favor. It's all of grace. Then when we come to Jesus, he says what? Follow me. Deny yourself. Die to self. Give your life. We know that famous Lutheran pastor, German uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? He was... uh, lived the time of, of World War II, and he's one of the ones that opposed uh, Hitler uh, and opposed the Nazi uh, camps and even was a part of a plot to kill Hitler. And he spoke about cheap grace. We think, yes, grace is free, it's unmerited, yet, but then we enter in, it could cost us our life as it did him. He was arrested and hanged shortly before the war ended. The gospel is costly, Paul says. Uh, does your life reflect that the gospel's for God, from God? In other words, does, does your life reflect the costly nature of the gospel? Paul says, look, I, I'm not playing games. This thing's cost me a lot. Do, are there things that you do because you've embraced the grace of God and so you're willing to sacrifice? You're willing to give up, willing to engage. First evidence, he says, his current situation. Second uh, evidence he cites is his pre-conversion life. Verse 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism, but beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. Paul is going to argue that his life before Christ did not show any signs of him following Jesus. This revelation is not from man. It must come from God because look at my life before Christ. There is no natural reasoning or thinking that would have shifted for me. This was not beneficial for me to promote this message of grace. See, he says, uh, exhibit A, my life before Christ. Um, if you've ever learned how to like, share your testimony and communicate it, you, you tend to think about your life before Christ and your conversion, your life after Christ, right? Have you done this before? So your life before Christ, you say something like, what was your life like? You know, uh, life was good, but, but I began to see my need. Um, you know, things were going well, but then I hit rock bottom. Or, uh, you know, God had many blessings, but then I, I found an emptiness. And so I, I saw my pride, and then I, I cried out, and, and God saved me. Paul's kind of the exception to this, right? Paul breaks the mold. He's, he says, there is absolutely no reason for me to be talking about this message unless it came from God. I was doing well in my career. I was, uh, he says, I was respected among my people. Paul was a Pharisee. Um, what do you hear when you hear Pharisee? You hear like a negative, right? Those Pharisees, don't be Pharisaical. But in, in Paul's day, in first century Judaism, Pharisees were the popular ones. They were respected. They were teachers of the law. They were experts. People wanted to be like them and to emulate them. Now, the Sadducees, they didn't like them. Sadducees were the the rich, snooty folks. They didn't like the Sadducees. But everybody wanted to be the Pharisee. Paul's a Pharisee, and he says uh, he's advancing among people. He's the head of the curve. He's the the young executive. He's moving up the ladder. 
among his own people. This is his lineage. This is his legacy. This is the tradition of his fathers. You know the story, right? My, my great-grandfather was a lawyer. Then my grandfather was a lawyer. Then my father was a lawyer. Now I'm a lawyer or doctor or whatever the, tra- whatever the tradition is. He's saying that. We've been Pharisees, experts in the law. We've been passing it down. And I'm doing great. There is no reason for me to abandon this lifestyle unless... Is a revelation of Jesus Christ has come to me. It's my heritage, she says. Not only that, I'm zealous about it. He was so zealous that he was going to protect his sect. He was going to protect the Pharisees by persecuting those that would be countering it. People that would talk bad about him or, or talk about a different way. He was going after Christians to arrest them, to have them persecuted. He was going to protect his tradition. In other words, Paul, before Christ, he is all in. He's not on the fence. He's, he's ISIS. You know? he's, he's bought wholesale to this vision. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says in Philippians, right? Hebrew of Hebrews. All the credentials and pedigree, Paul has it. Why would he give that up? Maybe some of you can't identify with that. Maybe life was pretty good before Christ. And then God intervened in your world and caused you, arrested your heart, and now you've come to faith, and what happens? You have to lay down. There are things you have to give up. This was costly, Paul says. He says that you... uh, Um, he didn't come to this place quickly or on his own thinking or reasoning. He came to this message of grace because of the revelation of God. There's no way man chooses that. No way. That's the second evidence. So he's building the case here. He's defending himself before the jury, and he says, look at my status. I'm a slave to Christ. I've, I've given it all up. L- look what I had, and I gave up pre Christ. And now he says the third point here. Look at my conversion. Verse 15. First part of 16. But when he it's God who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Here Paul does theology. Now, in our court cases, uh, you know, Fra- we could ask Frazier. Frazier starts bringing uh, his theological arguments in trial. Uh, it's probably not going to go over too well, right? They leave that religious stuff. Well, let's go by the, the case here. Uh, but who's Paul dealing with? Paul's dealing with Jews. He's dealing with Judaizers, the Pharisees. He's dealing with experts in the law who knew the Old Testament. Theology is their wheelhouse. Paul says, you want, to talk about, you want to talk about why I'm doing this? Why, why I'm uh, promoting this grace-only, Jesus-only message? It's because of the theology. This is the technical side. This radical, radical conversion is not only rooted in the revelation of God, but in the work of God in his life. On his life. Paul speaks of the work of God in the divine initiative. God Set me apart. Paul says, you, you think, you Judaizers think this is some recent thing. That, you know, I, uh, I, I, I got a hold of some bad, bad stuff, you know. I got a bad batch of drugs or something. I've gone off the deep end. Paul says, no, no, no. God set me apart before the foundation of the world. 
for this purpose. This calling, my training, this legacy is all built for this very purpose, he says. And then, in time, in space, on a road to Damascus to persecute the church, God called me by his grace and he revealed to me Jesus Christ. Remember? Saul at the time was on the road to persecute. A light shines down. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is Jesus speaking directly to him. Paul thought he was persecuting Christians. But in persecuting Christians, Jesus said he was persecuting himself. He met Christ. He stopped him. Paul said, look, this is my testimony. I'm just giving you the information. This is what happened. Ask the people that were with me. This happened. The light came. I, I was blind for three days. Here's my story. See the evidence. Testimony. You can't make this stuff up. He finishes with uh, God's purpose for this calling was in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My specific calling was for the purpose of taking the gospel to the non-Jewish world. Um, he, he says, I, I, know it's, I know it's bold, but the thing you're criticizing me for is actually the very thing that's happening. You're criticizing me for taking the gospel to Gentiles and not making them be Jews, but that's the very reason I was called to faith. I was purposed in faith to do that very thing among this people. It's actually working. God's plan is happening right before our eyes is what he says. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Paul is the forerunner of taking the gospel. You got a problem with the gospel? Take it up with God, Paul says. This isn't my problem. This is God's issue. He called me. He saved me. He gave me purpose. Now, when you read Scripture, we have to see where there's application, and we have to see where there's distinction. And we're not Paul, right? So none of you were given the unique charge to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That wasn't like your calling in the world. Did you know that? However, there are things we see that are parallels. All of us have different testimonies. All of us have different stories. And yet there are similarities. Ephesians says for those who are in Christ that we've been, we've been predestined for the foundation of the world. Something in the heart and mind of God that we've known God. He's known us before the foundation of the world. And that in time and space, middle school, high school, 38, 52, whenever it may be, God calls us by his grace, and he does so as he reveals, not a direct revelation like Paul, but he reveals himself, the person of Jesus Christ. And we see this message of grace. It's called our testimony. Grace got a hold of us. One of the beautiful things we get to do as God's people, we try to do it here on Sunday some, before the sermon, is that we get to share our testimony with one another. Um, one of the most powerful, sometimes we, we say, I don't, I don't know what to say to those that don't believe. I, I get tongue-tied, and I don't have all the words, and there's hard questions. What do we do with all these problems and the Bible? And, and you, you can grow, and you can work at all those things, but one thing that is really, really, really hard to dispute is the changed life, right? When you say, I, I don't know, right? I, I, I was one way, you know, life was all about me, and, and now 
God entered it, and, and now I'm, I'm changed. I'm different. I don't, I don't know. What happened? I don't know. Jesus. I used to live this way. This is how I thought about sexuality, and then I, Jesus came in my world, and now, you know, my life has changed and my understanding. My thinking, or my, my body, or my money, or my relationships, or my job. It's not a... It may not be radical, it may not be overnight, but our lives get changed as we encounter and meet Jesus. Do you know your story? Do you know your rescue story? Do you know your conversion story? Do you tell your story? How many people have you told about your life? This is what God did. Do you, do you remember it? Do you refresh it? Finally, briefly, um, his current state, his pre-conversion, his conversion. Finally, he's going to tell you uh, about what happened after he was converted. And there's a lot of text here. We won't get to all of it. We'll do it briefly. 16b and on. Paul says, listen, this happened. God called me, and he says, verse 16, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained there with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. This is under oath here. I'm on the stand. I want you to know I'm not lying. I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and there I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only word hearing it said... He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. Notice what he says. I didn't consult with anyone. You think I'm pleasing man? You think I've been compromised? You think someone slid me, you know, a $100 handshake to, to, to change the message? I didn't talk to anybody. I was converted. I didn't go to Jerusalem to talk to the apostles before me. I went to Arabia. One of the charges against Paul was that his message was derived from other Christians, from other leaders in Jerusalem. And so it's important that he says, I didn't go for three years to Jerusalem. Because the people that are accusing Paul, the people that are attacking Paul, the Judaizers, they came from Jerusalem. And they traveled up to Galatia because they heard this news that Paul was preaching this grace alone thing. And so they came, they came from headquarters to make sure it was straight. So if Paul had gone to Jerusalem, they would say, listen... We came from headquarters. Paul's not telling you the whole story. Paul's holding out. Paul's not telling you the part about the Jewish components. You Gentiles, that's great. You got Jesus, but you got to do these things. Paul says, I have none of it. I I didn't go to Jerusalem. I was by myself. I was away. I haven't gone. They can't discredit him. He says, I consulted no one. You know, good, uh, good lawyers, they, uh, they look for the details, right? Uh, you, you know, what's your alibi? Where were you at this time? Who were you with? Who saw you at that time? Let me look at your phone records. Oh, you had texts from this place. Let's see his GPS. Cor- Let's find out, right? That's what Paul does. The next few verses is just his alibi. That's what he says, right? He goes on. I saw Cephas. That's Peter. I was there 15 days. Wasn't that long. And then I saw James. 
Uh, what's James? The Lord's brother. Oh, the half-brother. of Okay. Two apostles. That's all he saw when he was in Jerusalem. Then he went to other reason, regions, Syria, Cilicia. You can check those places out. You can go there. You can talk to people. I was there, but I was still unknown there. No one knew me. I wasn't a big name. I didn't have a big conference. I didn't gather new information. It wasn't tampered. It wasn't compromised, he says. I didn't get the story. You see what he's doing? He's just telling you what happened. I want you to know. Here's the case. Next case. Next document. Next doc- This is where I was. This is what I The gospel I'm preaching is from Jesus. The only thing you can hear said about me there was this, verse 23. All they said was, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Like the, the, the only news you're going to hear is what I've already told you. It's my testimony. You can c- collaborate the stories. It's what I've already said. In fact, the very thing you're accusing me of right now is the very thing that's happening. My testimony is bearing witness. They glorified God because of me. Conclusion. His post-conversion. Who he has seen, who he has been with, what he has done validates his message. The gospel of grace is not from man, but from God. Okay. A lot of stuff, a lot of words. Um, what's the verdict? So Paul is defending himself, and now he's going to go on uh, and preach the rest of this, or, the, or give the rest of this letter, and, and flesh out what the gospel is. But he's fighting against those that are trying to discredit him, so that the, the Galatians would not hear his message. They would close their ears. You can't trust this guy. And he has gone methodically and said, "This is why I'm trustworthy. This is why the message is trustworthy, because it came uh, from God Himself." He revealed it to me. Man doesn't do this. And so the Judaizers and us would have to deal with it. What do we do? What's the verdict? If you're, if you're in that room, you know, how long do you take? You go back and deliberate. You talk it over. It's got to be unanimous, right? It can't be a, a few. All he, he gets, uh, you know, are we all on board here? Can we take the message? Can we look at the evidence? Um, what does our life say about the gospel, the validity of the gospel? Is, there, is it costly? Uh, or is it like the, the American easy gospel where it costs us nothing? It's not very compelling in the courtroom or with our non-Christian friends. Does it cost us something? What was life like before Christ? What, what brought you to the point where you came the Lord? What did God do in coming to the Lord? What did he reveal to you? How did he show your sin, your heart, your need, your brokenness, your despair? And what's been your story with Jesus? You see, if we come to the conclusion that Paul is telling the truth, um, the implications are monumental, right? I mean, uh, Derek Chauvin is going to be in jail, right? I guess they're waiting on the time and sentencing. But the verdict's in, guilty, now the consequence. For us, is Paul truthful? If he is, that means everything about our life is on the table. 
If the gospel came to Paul, and what he's telling us is that we're saved, we're made right, we're justified with God by what Christ has done alone, his grace alone, then now we have to account with God. We have to deal with him. Because he saved us, not because of our goodness, not because of our righteousness, not because of we won favors. He's not like man that we can appease and please. It's all of grace. And if it's all of grace, then God has requirements not to earn it, to live in it, to, to deny, to die. It's going to cost us in our workplace, in our families. It's going to cost your money. It's going to cost you in your relationships. It's going to cost you in everything you do. Weigh the evidence. It's important. Look at the data. Look at the information. And trust the claims that Paul says. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It comes from him, and he can be trusted. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that Paul does, uh, is painstaking to give us the details. He knows that everything in us wants to uh, discredit him. We want to find pieces of scripture to, to discredit the whole message. We, if we can throw this out, we can throw the whole thing out, and then that means we can live however we want to live and do whatever we want to do. But if the message is true, if you revealed yourself to Paul, and the message of Paul was reliable with Peter, and Peter with Paul, then we have one gospel, one gospel of grace that saves and gives life and hope to us. God, may we know that. May we know that. May we believe it and may we trust it. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come, we hear the gospel preached every week, but we also taste and see. Um, one of the great uh, gifts of God is that he knows we're limited. Uh, he knows that we're tangible. Um, if you've been in, you know, an elementary school, every good teacher does some kind of object lesson, you know. They, sh- it's, they sh- you know, we have show and tell, you know. They, they got to see it, they got to touch it. You know, math now, they have the manipulatives, and you move two, you know, minus five, you get three. You know, they, they got a, something that we can put our hands on and say, this is real, this actually happened. And Paul's presented all the, all the data, you know, that they got to look at. But the, the, the beauty of the gospel is every week. Every week we get something to, to touch and to smell, to taste, to, to swallow, It reminds us that the gospel is true.